Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Living Word Family here. Good morning, Living Word Family out there in TV land and anybody else who might be tuning in. Look forward to seeing you soon. Wanted to give you a quick update on Paul Kramer. I know we sent an email. That went out a little late by accident. And um, I wanted to let you know that he is in, uh, it's, uh, what's, that, what's it called now? University Health. It's, it's still Champaign County Nursing Home. That's where Paul is. Can't visit him, unfortunately. And this is terrible. You know, he just lost his wife and then went through this uh, procedure that he was having, he's having a difficult time recovering from. But he, you can write him there, all right? Maybe jot a note, send him a card, you know, just to Paul Kramer, care of, you, can, you can find the a- address out easily enough uh, online or somehow. Uh, but we do want to keep him lifted up and encouraged. And uh, we are continuing today with uh, our series called Stay the Course. Stay the Course is a study in the book of Hebrews with special attention to the overall theme, which is drifting away or backsliding. It's a letter written to encourage specifically Jewish converts to Christianity to do that, to stay the course. And the concern is not backsliding in uh, maybe the sense that you and I often think of it, but sliding back under the legalism of the Old Testament, uh, which is, uh, as we discussed last week, is the same as sliding into perdition or damnation. And uh, I gotta tell you, as I read and reread this letter, it is becoming more and more one of my favorite books of the Bible because it is so practical, it is so pointed. It's, uh, the issues are very clear. There are some confusing passages, and we've looked at a couple difficult ones during this study, but overall, it just makes so much sense. And these Jewish believers had indeed believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had trusted him for their salvation. They were born again, but now things were getting tough, and they did not see the victory that was promised. And uh, they were flirting with the idea of retreating back into the respectable Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, and Paul, or whoever wrote this letter, who was Paul, by the way, uh, is writing that. <laughs> i got to get that in at least once a week. Uh, It's writing them to convince them that their decision to follow Christ was not in vain, that the things that they are experiencing are not unusual uh, in the grand scheme of things. And last week we looked at a very sobering passage in chapter 10 that talked about the fate of those who turned away from Christ after being made righteous, uh, counting his blood as common, insulting the spirit of grace. And this was followed, though, remember, by this encouraging section, reminding them of what they had already been through. Let's start by reading that again. That's Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle of, uh, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. 
But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That's us, right? Verse 39 is us. Again, look, you've already been through so much. You can do this. It's nothing new. Just don't quit. Don't quit. Stay the course. And then right into Hebrews chapter 11, which I'm sure you all remember, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now we could stop here and do a whole series on faith. We can and probably will do a series on the examples that the author of Hebrews goes on to cite in chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. Example after example of men and women who lived by faith, who pleased God. But I want to keep our focus here on what God is saying through the author in this letter. Stay the course. He goes on to refer to individual after individual who acted in faith on the word of God, like Enoch, who did not die but was taken by God. And it says before he was... uh, Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased the Lord. He pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it talks about Noah, who for over a hundred years endured the ridicule of his neighbors as he prepared the ark. And then Abraham and Sarah, a tremendous example of the faith that we are called to walk in. Go to a place that I will show you. I haven't even shown it to you yet, but you go there. I'll show, I'll show it to you when you get there. And I'm going to give that land to who? Your descendants. Not, I'm going to show you the land I have given you. I'm giving, you this, I'm giving this land to your descendants. You go there. I'm going to give it to your descendants. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to give you descendants. He said this. He made this promise and this command to a couple who was getting on in years and had no children. And yes, remember this, that by the time Abraham died, Abraham was rich. He had a lot, but he only got a little taste of the inheritance that God had promised him. He was 160 years old before he saw grandchildren, and God had promised him descendants that were innumerable, We'll come back to him in a little bit. Look at this, though. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, uh, from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, this is going to be developed as he writes on, but consider what you just read, especially with regard to Abraham. Abraham was called out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, and Uh, archaeology tells us, we don't have a lot of background from the Bible itself, but archaeology tells us that this was probably, almost certainly, the most developed city in the world at that time. There is archaeological evidence of such modern luxuries as indoor plumbing back then. 
And this is what Abraham is called out of to do what? To live in tents. To be a wanderer. A rich wanderer for sure. With herds and flocks and servants. But not what God had promised. Where's his land? Where's his offspring? He only began to see that toward the end of his life. The first land he ever owned was the field he bought so he could bury his wife. Then he goes on to talk about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, all of whom God took great care of, none of whom saw the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Then Moses, the next great example, he led a whole multitude out of Egypt, and at one time or another, most of this multitude felt like going back. Let's turn back. Things are getting tough. Moses himself left the comforts of the palace when he obeyed God, but these Egyptians who cried out to be led back to Egypt were wanting to go back into slavery. Why? Because at least they knew what that was like, and they were frightened of the unknown. But they pressed on. They stayed the course, and by faith the walls of Jericho fell. Now read this with me, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Having not received the promise, what does that mean? That God didn't keep his word? No. It's not what it means at all. They simply never got to see the fulfillment or the full manifestation of that promise. And I'm talking about the promise that goes back to Abraham. Actually, the promise that goes back to the garden. Do you remember this phrase from back when we were looking in Genesis? The proto-evangelium? The proto-gospel? Where God announced to the serpent that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. That was the first, first time that promise of the gospel was laid out. And then it was said more specifically to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This was about Jesus, and all of these Heroes of the faith lived and died without ever seeing him, without ever seeing the fulfillment of that promise. God took care of them, and they stayed the course, but where all of this was leading was the salvation of the world, all leading up to Jesus. And all those who have gone before, who stayed the course, and now it's our turn. We read on now to this well-known imagery. 
It's powerful. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now what we often picture when we read this, what I often do anyway, is a stadium. And here we are, we're getting ready to take the baton, we're getting to, get to run our leg of this race. And in the stands are the patriarchs, the heroes of the faith that we just read about. Maybe they got their popcorn, maybe they got their binoculars, but they're like, we finished our race, let's see how you do. Uh, and so when I when we talk about the powerful imagery, that's what I mean. I think this is a picture that God likes us to consider, but I don't think that's the primary meaning of this passage. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to just kind of play off of that imagery for a minute and read you the lyrics to a song. There's a song by Steve Taylor called The Finish Line. And I can hardly listen to it without crying. It's one of those things that might not move you like it moves me. I'll probably crack up in the middle of it just because of, I can always remember how this song impacted me the first few times I heard it. But it, it's a song about, or a poem in this case, about a, uh, the imagery is a, a young man who gives his heart to Christ, goes out strong, drifts away, and comes back. Now listen to this. And picture this. Uh, when I think of the race, I think of kind of a steeplechase. It's a messy race, okay? Once upon an average morn, an average boy was born for the second time. Prone upon the altar there, he whispered up the prayer he'd kept hid inside. The vision came, he saw the odds, a hundred little gods on a gilded wheel. These will vie to take your place, but Father, by your grace, I will never kneel. And I saw you, upright and proud, This part kind of would be somebody in the stands, okay? I saw you upright and proud, and I saw you wave to the crowd, and I saw you laughing out loud at the Philistines, and I saw you brush away rocks, and I saw you pull up your socks, and I saw you out of the blocks for the finish line. Darkness falls, the devil stirs, and as your vision blurs, you start stumbling. The heart is weak, the will is gone, and every strong conviction comes tumbling down. Malice reigns, the acid guile is sucking at your shoes while the mud is fresh. It floods the trail, it bleeds you dry as every little god buys its pound of flesh. And I saw you licking your wounds, and I saw you weave your cocoons. Sorry, <laughs> I warned you. And I saw you changing your tunes for the party line. And I saw you Welsh on old debts. And I saw you and your comrades bum cigarettes. And you hemmed and you hawed and you hedged all your bets, waiting for a sign. Let's wash our hands as we throw little fits. Let's all wash our hands as we curse hypocrites. We're locked in the washroom, turning old tricks, deaf and joyless and full of it. 
I thought about leaving that full of it phrase out of there, but when I heard one of our praise and worship leaders say crap, I figured I was okay to... <laughs> the vision came. He saw the odds. Tough part. Somebody else want to come up here and read this? <laughs> vision came. He saw the odds. A hundred little gods on a gilded wheel. These have tried to take your place. But Father, by your grace, I will never kneel. I will never kneel. Off in the distance, bloodied but wise, as you squint with the light of truth in your eyes. And I saw you. Both hands raised. And I saw your lips move in praise. And I saw you steady your gaze for the finish line. Every idol, like dust, a word scattered them all. And I rose to my feet when you scaled that last wall. And I gasped. <laughs> and I gasped when I saw you fall in his arms at the finish line. Now, that's tearing me up because of some things that I look back on in my life. It's tearing me up because I'm picturing other people that are very close to me that I know are in different stages of this race. Some that are very close to me. But can you just picture those who've gone on before us? Those who stayed the course, those who finished their course. Watching us down here, taking off, running well, stumbling, even leaving the race. And then by the grace of God, getting back into it. I've quoted, seems like recently, uh, some lines from Chariots of Fire, but maybe the most powerful single scene in there is when Eric Little was running one of his earlier races. And, uh, of course, he's doing well in the race, but he was, he's either pushed or trips or something. He winds up just rolling in the cinders there or the mud. Uh, and it's not such a long race that he has a long time to catch up. But next thing you know, he's dead last or on the ground. And then he's his slow motion. He gets up with this determined look, runs the crowd down, and wins the race. Coming from behind. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture and again, I think God uses the image of this cloud of witnesses and the race to kind of plant that image in our mind, but it's not the central message of this passage. The word witnesses there is actually a legal term. And for one thing, as much as we might warm ourselves with the thoughts of our loved ones who have died, looking down on us from heaven, I want to remind you of something, that to be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. And there is nothing going on down here that is going to be remotely worthy of their attention compared to Jesus. You hear me? I'm not saying your loved ones who have gone before you don't love you. I'm saying if it's between looking at you and looking at Jesus, they're looking at Jesus, okay? 
you will be too. The force of these verses is the force of a powerful witness in a court of law when we stand before the judge of all the earth and we try to offer excuses for why we couldn't stay the course. Those who have gone before, especially those Old Testament saints, will rise as witnesses and say, are you kidding? I did what I did. I finished my course without the new birth. I finished my course without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everything we endured, everything we endured on the basis of a promise, a promise alone. You had your hard times, sure, you had your doubts, but you also had the shed blood of Jesus, you had the promise of his presence, and you had the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and you couldn't finish your course? And not only that, Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Jesus himself went through what he went through for you. Back to what the author said early in this letter. You don't see everything. You don't see everything you think you ought to see. But what do you see? You see Jesus. If you fail to consider him, as it says here, keep your eyes on Jesus. If you don't do that, you risk deep discouragement. If all you are judging the rightness or wrongness of life, all you are judging success and failure on is what you see around you, you are going to, at some point, to be discouraged. It's a huge risk. But keep your eyes on Jesus, who went through more of it. And it was Jesus who went through it at the hands of sinners. You think you've struggled? You're making excuses for your sin. You say, it's been a struggle. And, and, and the writer here is saying, show me your scars. Let's see the blood. People went through a lot worse with a lot fewer resources than you have in terms of the spiritual promise. It's uncomfortable. It's even painful. But what's making it hard, according to these two passages we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, is the weight. Sin itself is a burden. So drop it. If we weren't under the COVID restrictions, this is one of my favorite. I think I did this, this, uh, this illustration at camp. Had a couple of kids come up with, and we had two heavy backpacks, and we said, all right, put these on. And then we lined them up and said, you run as fast as you can to that door. Or we'd give them a path to go. And we'd tell one guy ahead of time, but not the other, before you take off running, drop the backpack. We put the backpack on him, but we didn't tell him I had to stay on him. So the guy, one guy would drop the backpack and easily outrun the other one. Before you try to run this race, lay aside those weights. Sin itself is a burden, and Jesus already carried that one for you. He carried it to the cross. What are these other weights? They can be distractions. They can be legitimate pleasures that have begun to replace Jesus in terms of our central focus. When we sing that song, Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus, we can say, Jesus be the Lord of my life. And on one hand, we can say, well, look, he either is Lord or he isn't. 
You know, it's possible for him to be the Lord and not your Lord, right? It's possible for Jesus to be the center of the universe and not be the center of your life. Legitimate pleasures that take on too much importance in your life and crowd out what really matters. These can be weights. Even our service, listen to me, our service to God, to the church, can become a drudgery if we fall into the ever-present trap of thinking that it's up to us to work to please him. What pleases him? Faith. Faith is that which without we cannot please him. That, that without which we cannot please him. Faith will produce works. Faith, legitimate faith, faith, true faith will always produce works. But they will be done in his strength, not your strength, not my strength. Remember also what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. An easy yoke, a light burden, makes it easier to run your race. Makes it easier to endure, doesn't it? We balance this against what we read in Hebrews. Striving against sin, striving to the point of blood. Endurance, there's this tension again, this mystery but the key is to keep looking unto Jesus. Paul, if he wrote this, has an excellent resume. Remember back in uh, Corinthians, I think, 2 Corinthians, where he lists all the stuff he's gone through, all the shipwrecks, the beatings, multiple times, even left for dead. And how, what was his analysis of that? Uh, these are, how did he describe this long list of sufferings? I think I mentioned this sometime probably in the last year or two where if we had somebody who went through one of Paul's tragedies and got this list, and you know, again, since, you know, this many times this happened to me and we could find somebody who went through that once, they could build a whole ministry on it. Here is the guy who endured a physical beating at the hands of unbelievers. It'd be a great platform. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying this is how big a deal it is. And Paul lists all these things. And you know how he wraps it up? Uh, these light momentary afflictions. Almost not worth talking about considering the glory, the eternal weight of glory that's already happening to us here and the heavenly rewards that await us. You know me better. I hope you do than to think that what I'm preaching is, this life is just going to be hard and stink as long as we're here, but hold on, we're all going to heaven. No. Look at the examples, again, of the Old Testament. These guys, for the most part, uh, they were blessed. They got to enjoy life. They got to enjoy riches and power and all this stuff, but they just didn't see the full manifestation of the promise. We are living un with better promises a new covenant, we, God is going to take care of us. We've said this again and again. Even, in, even if the economy looks bad, God will still provide for us, won't he? Even if the health turns into a real crisis, can God heal us and protect us in the middle of a, of a pandemic? You better believe it. But we need to be in faith. And how do we demonstrate that faith? How do we exercise that faith? Words of our mouth. Know what the promise is, know what his word is, and that's what you speak. 
Why don't you stand up with me? I'm going to offer an invitation today to do two things simultaneously with one decision. The invitation, of course, is to follow Christ, to be born again. I talked about Jesus being Lord. I want you to make him your Lord today. To do that, all you have to do is acknowledge that he is who he said he is, that he really did die on the cross for you because you needed him to, and that God really did raise him from the dead. God has removed that sin barrier. And one thing we get to do when we come to him is lay our burdens down, cast our cares upon him. And the other thing we get to do is take up our cross, pull up our socks, as it were, and get in the race. If you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord this morning, There is no better time. So many times we've read in this letter, today, 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 if you will not harden your hearts. Is there anyone who wants to make that decision? Listen to all the things that, that we just read here, these, these men and women of faith, what they endured, the shame. Gee, I'm not going to reread it because it's pretty disturbing to hear the things they went through, but they did that just to finish their leg in the race. And I say that now because all I'm asking you to do is raise your hand. And well, I'd do it if you just have everybody close their eyes. You can be bold enough to say, Pastor Scott, that's me. I want to get saved today. Today, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord. Is that anybody in here? Okay. Next. Maybe the stage of the race you're in is that guy who just got stuck in the mud got distracted, maybe running a completely different race right now. Uh, has the world beat up on you enough? Have you come to your senses and realized that if you continue to pursue those things, it will end in your destruction? You who are on track, you're off track. You want to get back on track. Are you ready to come back to get back in the race? Tie your shoes tight, pull your socks up, brush the rocks off, steady your gaze for the finish line. When he's talking, Paul's talking about when the author of Hebrews, when God, through the author of Hebrews, is talking about running the race that is set before you, he has placed you in a particular lane. You are not racing against me. I'm running my race, you're running your race. That's the one piece of imagery we've got to remember when we... When we uh, information we have to remember when we, when we process this imagery is we're not racing against each other. God has put you on a particular course, and your mission in life is to finish your course. And if you are not pursuing, if your eyes are off Jesus and you're pursuing nothing but pleasure, you're off course. Get back on the course and stay the course. Is there anybody today who says, yeah, you know what? I've wasted enough time out there. I'm coming back. I'm getting back on the field and getting back in my lane. Anybody? Right on. Praise the Lord. There's one. All right. Anybody else rededicate, get back on track? Anybody want to get saved? Anyone give your heart to Jesus today? It's everything else in life, no matter how pleasant at the time, is a waste of your life. Because at the end of the trail, at the end of the road, we stand before the judge. We stand before God, and he's going to say, what did you do? with the life I gave you. Anybody? Praise the Lord.
We're all going to pray. I'm going to pray. You're going to agree. In fact, say this first part with me. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me, Lord, for the times my eyes have gotten off the prize. Help me, Lord, to fix my eyes on you and steady my gaze in my lane, my course, my race. I commit myself to you. I commit myself to your purposes. And as a result, you will be glorified in my life. And I will be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, you can be seated for a moment. I'm going to dismiss here at, right after I pray for the offering. Thank you guys uh, for your uh, faithfulness. Once again, I just want to thank you for, for being so faithful and so committed. Uh, when it comes to the tithe and the offering, this is part of our, uh, the, the expression of our unity as a body. Uh, uh, heaven knows there, there are plenty of uh, good works to give into. Uh, and I don't like to get legalistic about this when we read uh, maybe the most famous verse on tithing in Malachi. Bring the, the tithes and the offering, bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and test me now on this. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing, there's not room enough to contain. Uh, there has been some argument or discussion or sermons preached. Well, what's the storehouse? And I believe, yeah, I don't think you can get, draw a legalistic line or even a straight line, but I think the best expression of the storehouse in the New Testament age is the local church. There are other things, there are other ways you can be blessed, and by all means, be led by God to be that blessing, but I think you have a commitment uh, to the local church, because this is where, this is where we feed, this is where uh, we are getting most of our spiritual supply, right, from one another. This is, this is, what, this is why we meet, for mutual edification. Uh, so again, you guys have been great. That's not a plea, that's a, that's a thank you. You guys have been wonderful in terms of your, your faithful support, and I believe that as we continue to obey God and determine to be blessing, to be uh, determined to be generous, that God will more than meet our needs, amen? He is a God who delights in giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, right? So let's be sowers, and then we can eat our bread in gladness. Heavenly Father, Oh, if you, if you need an envelope, uh, not talking to you now, Heavenly Father. Uh, if you need an envelope, uh, raise your hand. The ushers can get you one. If the checks, of course, get made out to Living Word Family Church, and you can deposit those in the receptacles. Uh, once again, wait to be dismissed, and I believe we'll be dismissing from the rear today, right? Start, starting from the rear. Let's do that. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. Remember, we're social distancing. We're masking up. During, uh, I know not everybody agrees with this, okay? If you got a mask, great. If no, we're no, nobody's going to tackle you if you don't. If you have one, when you leave, put it on uh, and, and try to maintain that distance. I, listen, we've had one incident, but our legal position is what? Living Word Family Church is still COVID-free zone. Uh, I, will, I will live and not die. I will, I will be healthy and not sick. I'm going to continue to speak God's word over me. We're not going to walk in fear. Uh, but please, just out of uh, preference, for those who are weak in one way or another, we will all mask up when, uh, to the best of our ability when we are facing one another. Uh, made too much of a deal out of that. Are you ready to give? Heavenly Father, thank you, as always, for your generous supply in our lives. Thank you for meeting all of our needs. 
taking such good care of us. And as always, Lord, it's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a joy to give into the work of your kingdom. We believe that as we give, it'll be given back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It'll be given to us, Father, so that we can give again. So we give obediently, we give cheerfully, and we give expectantly now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.